0: Don't they always?
1: (laughs) Yeah, he does. Microsoft.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Microsoft. welcome, everybody.
2: Welcome to the Industry 4.0 weekly live Q&A. The first weekly live Q&A with an audience of 10,000 subscribers. If that's you, thank you. If that's not you yet, there's a button right below to subscribe and ring the bell. Uh, Over 50% of our audience is not a member of our subscriber yet, so please do subscribe and and, uh, share it out. Um, Thank you. Thank you for helping us grow the community to 10,000. The Industry 4.0 Community Discord server also reached 2,000 members. It just blew up last week. And uh, so if you want to join the Industry 4.0 Community Discord server, there will be a link down below. Um, Walker, welcome.
1: Thank you, Zach, for having me.
2: So today we have Taylor Turner on the Community Spotlight. And also you're probably like, why is Matt Paris on here? Uh, If you didn't see Matt Paris's Community Spotlight, I'll leave a link to that there. Um, but Matt's also on here to talk a little bit about his uh, OPC article that we talked about last week, his open letter, to the OPC Foundation. We wanted to get his opinion on it directly and hear Walker's feedback on it. So, um, but we were just kind of so going live talking about the, uh, the failed industry Ford Auto opportunity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're such a wise ass.
2: All right, listen, let me, if, I want, I want to bring up a couple of things. Taylor, Auto, if you think industry four Auto is a meme, then, then you don't really know what Industry 4.0 is, right? That's what we were saying.
1: <laughs> all right, so if, for those of you that don't know what Zach is talking about, okay. So <clears throat> Rick Bulata, who is a, <clears throat> he's a, you know, one of the former ThingWorks guys, right? He he posted a, what I thought was actually very funny on LinkedIn, I I laughed <laughs> at it, which was, you know, basically y'all need funny. to get with the program. Industry 4.0 is so 2010s, you know. And he he got it, some shirt from uh, from rush order tees, which actually I ordered a bunch of shirts that are Vax t-shirts, and it says I'm already running industry 5.0, and it's it's funny. I think it's I think, um, but it, it actually rush. got me thinking. So it actually got me thinking. Right. So I had a I had a call earlier today with a market research firm that at you know at interviewed me you know wanted to talk to me about MES ERP industry 4.0 right and one of the questions that the research analyst was asking was you know what is the what's one of the biggest problems in the industry and you know as it relates to industry 4.0 and he, we were specifically talking about like MES and ERP that's really what he was asking me about you know, what, AMES, what MES system do you, out there in the market do you think is going to be the prevailing winner? That kind of stuff. And I told them none of them. There, I, don't think that the, I don't think that the MES system of the future has been created yet. Um, but one of the things that we had talked about was the, one of the biggest problems in Industry 4.0 is people don't know what it is. Even even today, <laughs> three, three years in, if you ask people, what is the fourth industrial revolution right if we go to rick's post on linkedin today and he says you know he mentioned that he had been working with a sap users group in the late 2000 you know 2007 2008 and that industry 4.0 is so 2010s that really while it's i guess technically true right the fourth industrial revolution started basically in 2000 right so let's talk about where the fourth industrial revolution started. Let's let's start there real quick before we get to Taylor. The fourth industrial revolution started. The line of demarcation was when Rockwell automation merged common industrial protocol with ethernet. Okay? When that happened to give you ethernet IP, the fourth industrial revolution started. Here's why. Before that moment, all of the data that was on the plant floor needed to be Transformed from its native protocol or its um, its native protocol or its common serial protocol into some format that you could collect, and because those native protocols and the the serial protocols were so inefficient, you couldn't collect that data at any interval at any interval of any meaning. Ethernet IP unlocked all that data on the plant floor right but it took people a decade to realize the implications right that that became possible in 2000 but really it didn't even start getting any any type of real adoption until 2010 hanover massey massey didn't even mention it until 2013 so there's a lot of people who believe 2013 is the line of demarcation for industry 4.0 so obviously rick is joking that industry 4.0 is so 2010s, it clearly is not. We're literally just now starting to get wheels on the fourth industrial revolution. But what is the fourth industrial revolution? This is the most important part. The fourth industrial revolution is really about automating business processes. It's really about taking that data. It's about collecting that data automatically unifying it with data and information from the rest of our business and automating decision making. That's really what it is. That's the real value. It starts with calculating important KPIs and visualizing them and turning them into information. It starts there. But where the real value in Industry 4.0 is about automating the decision making process. That's what predictive analytics is. That's what predictive maintenance is. That is what the manufacturing holy grail is. So w- the question that came up this morning is, you know, what's the biggest problem? The biggest problem was we're not even all operating with the same, the same uh, on the same definitions. So anyway, quick off my uh, soapbox.
2: Quick, quick quick side point. Um, uh, we're <clears throat> gonna get it to Taylor. Thank you for being on the community spotlight today. And uh, you know, we sent a message out to all of our industry 4.0 students saying, hey, you know, Taylor's been the fastest person to progress through step one training. Uh, you know, he 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 joined right. You know, re- recently in this last cohort, you know, mentorship is available for sign up now. Um, but he went through step one, which you know includes Walker. You want to kind of talk about what that includes, and I wanted to talk about you know this like Taylor is part of the community and and how you've been able to grow
1: and um, yeah, you know, just have you on, you know. So, <clears throat> all right, so yeah, so Taylor joined in January, right? You joined mentorship in January in that sign up. Even- even after
0: i think it was february um, i had to ask him okay. directly
2: yeah he kind yeah. of he, kinda, he so, uh yeah i was able to get him in right at the right at the end
1: so right now that means that the mentorship program when taylor joined us has two steps okay step one should take the average person three to six months to complete step two is going to take most people six to 12 months to complete step two is not even totally completed yet we're only through the second we have the second module for step two completed but we'll talk about what step one is so step one is the introduction to an IIoT platform we start with ignition so it's ignition um, inductive university training it's the introduction to python it's the introduction to mysql it's the introduction to sql server and it's all the foundation for um, all of the key foundational elements of becoming an industry 4.0 professional, right? The IIoT mini course, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the of the step one is a very comprehensive practical that has to be completed. It's, um, I think there are 99 elements, maybe 100 yeah, maybe. elements. So there are 99 or 100 steps in completing that practical. And it's a combination of, you know, there's, Data aggregation. There is abstraction. There's connectivity. There is um, um, you got to create a Python package. You've got to be able to import that package. There's a lot of Python scripting, and then you have both vision UI development and reactive UI development. So that is w- developing a web application, and they both have to operate off the same unified namespace. So, and and the way that I created the practical i designed it so that you would be forced to research help you would there are there are there are things we intentionally put in that you would have to go to the community to get help on right um, taylor we got we got nine <laughs> taylor's one of right. 10 10
2: people that are ready for their step 1 practical review
1: right so 10 people have completed the practical Taylor is one of those people and he is the only one from the second group and he got, and he completed step one faster than anybody. It's not even close actually completed it faster than anybody else in either group. So that was the reason. So that was the reason we asked you to come on and a tell us what made you join the community. Number one, what, what brought you to the community Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then let's talk about how you achieved what you achieved.
0: Oh, there's no secret sauce, but I'll get to that. So, uh, the so the mentorship. So, personally, you know, I do systems integration as a job um, every day. So either it's uh, on site, you know, I'm I'm assisting them because they don't have an engineering department or they don't have controls engineers, or we're doing a facility or plant upgrade. Usually, it's you know PLC fives upgrading to control logics or you know, whatever they need to put in that needs to be brought into the 2000 and let's just say to the 2010s and beyond, right? Um, <laughs> so, 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 um, so the goals really for the mentorship program was I know I know how to do what we do every day, which is to do to to build a separate system. I know how to build a machine and make it run. I can make parts, right? I know how to. I know how to implement that as part of a system, but I don't know how to plan a system out that I know will be interoperable and will be extensible in the future. When I come back in five years, am I gonna curse myself for making this project or am I gonna be happy that I can just already have the programming interface written, I already have the data structure created, and I just need to plug in the new thing that I wanna add? Um, And so really it's just a personal journey to figure out how to best implement that. I want to find somebody who's doing it successfully, right? That's a key part of it, you know, i4.0, but are you doing it successfully? And then, um, you know, how, how how do I look at each part of the system as a whole and how does it fit together? That's my goal to get from mentorship. Um, and the Discord, I mean, I. It's a lot of people trying to grow in the same field. They're going to have questions that I probably have seen or used before. I'm finding all kinds of technologies I just straight up didn't know about. Uh, EM, EMQX is one thing that I had never heard of, but I've been implementing it pretty hard uh, recently because mm-hmm. they have a Docker awesome. container, which, by the way, the Docker container is the key. Hey, software, if you, if you want people to use your stuff, make a Docker container. I will use the crap That's right. out of it.
2: Have I'll you go. used um, NanoMQ? Uh,
0: uh, I have no, I haven't touched it since the original EMQX put on Docker, so I've been running that same image instance over and over again as one of my um, brokers on the Docker instance. Uh-huh. Nice. So so nice. that's 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 I'm trying to make it um, not too wordy, right? So like that's that's mentorship and why I joined. That's the Discord and why I started on the Discord first, and then realized, hey, these guys are going in a direction that I want to understand and I want to add to what I do already, right I can make a system, but that doesn't mean that it it produces data that anybody else can use or cares about right so that's that's really the core issue um, and then I think your last question was how, how I did how it.
1: much how much yeah how much time did you put into step one okay the way that I estimated it was that if you were elite let's say you already knew everything there and you're just going through the steps mm-hmm. you know that's still forty 40 to 60 hours of work to get done, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. how long did it take you? Number one, how many, how, many, how many man hours did you put in? And then how did you, ballpark figure, and then how did you work that into your, obviously your already busy schedule?
2: Um,
0: so the courses, again, I cheated, and not saying that cheating really, but cheated as in, I've already done Python. MySQL, Microsoft SQL, I've actually implemented services using those tools. So I did the courses because I knew they were required, but I had the knowledge to basically write the code when it asks me because I've already written code like that before. Um, so that was kind of a, I did I did the Python, MySQL and Microsoft SQL. I did all of those in a weekend, and then I started on the practical because you'd already, you'd already added the smart sheet. So I knew I could start, okay, well, I have a pretty good handle on the tools, let's start building the server, let's start making the windows. You know, I'll, I'm gonna get to a point where I'm gonna get stuck. I think the Kepware OPC UA was the one that got me stuck for about two days because the certificates weren't flying back and forth. And uh, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it really wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't hard. It was just, it's all about time. And so, you know, I had the conversation with coworkers or people that I meet in the field who are like, hey, I wanna learn that and I'm like, if you don't make the time, you're never going to have it. So if you don't delegate an hour, you know, when you get home to just just have a cutoff, do an hour, do an actual hour. And then when the hour is over, turn off the computer, go do something else, hang out with your kids. But if you don't set the time aside, you just you won't have it. You'll you'll get sucked into Netflix or, you know, I don't use Facebook, so I don't really have
1: those issues. But,
0: you yeah. know, I'm a odd egg. So. And, I, and I like doing this and- in,
1: my, in my spare time. So when you so what's what's next steps for you? So obviously you've started s- step two, where mm-hmm. we're, we have module two to release for you, and actually there's two other people who need module two. Um, mm-hmm. But what's next for you career wise? Where where do you see where do you see you taking these skills and and developing your career? I mean. It's. I
0: don't wanna reiterate the same thing, but it's like, I'm already doing a thing, but I'm trying to figure out if I'm doing it in the most efficient and usable manner, right? I can make a machine, I can make parts, I can track track OEE, I I know how to do that, right? So that it, it will do it. But then how do you write an API so that other things can consume that? How do you make a data model so that other things can consume that, right? Like you can write the most beautiful PLC code, guess what? The customer doesn't care. The customer just cares right. that it runs, right? Your right. AOI could be the mm-hmm. best AOI anybody's ever seen and nobody will ever see it. Right. Right. So um, career-wise, right. it's a matter of you could be training. working on
2: the next you could be working on the next big thing, but if no one ever sees or hears you talking about it, then what value is that?
1: Well, if the customer yeah. if the customer never benefits from it, right? True. If 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 the end user never benefits, then what's the value of the technology, right? Right. We got to be out there implementing
2: this stuff that we're talking about, which is what we're doing.
0: Yeah. And so for me, the biggest takeaway has been um, the shift in it's been incremental change, right? Like learning about certain things, um, iterative process, uh, forget the specific term for the software development cycle, but doing it that way. Right. Talking to a customer and instead of trying to convince them to buy a project or to buy a machine, you know because we do sell engineering hours if they don't have controls engineers themselves but if we're going to do a project let's think about the holistic part of the project let's think about you know what can we do right now to give you the most value because um, if you've ever worked with a company the person you're probably talking to isn't the one who makes decisions and you can't get buy-in right. if you can't prove value so if you can come in in that first relationship meeting and say you know, within two weeks, I'm going to have a working small scale prototype of this machine to give you the OEE. This is your problem machine. Let's fix it. Let's give you a way to know if the things you're doing are improving the machine. And then we'll go from there. You know, if they love it, which if you do a good job, they'll love
1: it and they'll want more of it. You know. So Excellent. So um, I, I know you have a you have a hard stop and. Where I want to bring Matt in, I'd I'd like for Taylor to be on here while we're talking to Matt mm-hmm. about the OPC letter. So, the so for those of you guys that don't know, Matt Paris, who's a member of the community, we talk about him all the time. Matt wrote an open letter to the OPC Foundation last week, right? You published it last week, right, Matt?
3: Nothing. Um,
1: which I exceptional, I mean, encapsulates everything that we talk about, which which is wrong with. I don't. Want, hey, I don't want to use wrong, but where the opportunities where the OPC oh, okay. Foundation can improve, you encapsulated that you in see? your open letter. Can you put your phone so, Do you want to? Do you want to, for the for the community? Do you want to go ahead and tell us where where that idea came from? You know, do you want to maybe hit the bullet points if you want to and. What has the the feedback you've gotten been?
3: I think it started from so I'm an end user of of the technology. So as an end user, yeah, you, what is what is the
2: topic of the of the actual letter though? If you want to start there,
3: I would summarize it as um, bringing out the point that a specific part of the OPC UA pub is not available on the market and there's a technology that is and uh i don't answer why that's the case i just bring up the point and i make the point that uh for opc to be successful equally as successful as this other protocol that is available on the market spark plug there's things that are going to have to do to make that happen Um, so that's how i end the letter um, so I, I d- talk about different technologies, and I don't know if we need to um, kind of walk through it at some point, but the, the letter came from a, of a place of frustration of you, you go and you spend time learning about the technology. You hear about it, you go read the specifications, you attend webinars, shows, you see who the players are in the space, and then now you're ready to go implement it, and then you're left short empty-handed and so as an end user you wonder why that is or why is this happening because when you hear it talked about it's as if it is out there on the market and that is not the case
1: right and for those of you guys that don't know what specifically what matt talked he talks about the entire opc specification the ua specification but he focuses on part 14 which is pub sub right? right so the and pub, you know, we talk about MQTT all the time. There are basically two types of of communications protocols out there. You have pub sub communications protocols. That is, they're edge driven. They're put. You, we you uh, clients publish in clients subscribe to a broker to re, to only be notified of the things that they are subscribing to that have updated, right? And then you have server client, right? So then you have server based where a request goes out. For new information and a response is returned for that information, right? Like OPC UA, the the, the, right, the the, it it, exactly the OPC UA, the base specification is based on a server client architecture, but they added in part 14, which is publish subscribe, which is and their recommendation, Mm -hmm. uh, their core recommendation is if you are going to use the OPC UA spec and you're going to use PubSub, we recommend you use, you know, MQTT as one of the options. You can use MQTT for transport for PubSub. But there's a whole host of problems. Number one, where are the implementations of part 14? That's what Matt's saying. He's like, where are they? If this is also, your solution, where do they exist? Go ahead, Matt. Uh, Zach. And Matt, you were saying also something like,
2: you know, even if you do implement OPC UA publish and subscribe with an ecosystem of, you know, non-existent vendors out there implementing it, let's just say you do implement it. There's six different format formats that each of the six different implementations of that publish and subscribe are not interoperable with the other ones. Is something like that?
3: Yeah, so um, this is to make a point that th- this is where OPC UA as a foundation has a branding problem. So you will hear people talking about OPC UA this, OPC UA that. If you look at the, I'll make up a number, (laughs) let's say 95% of the deployments out there, it is OPC UA uh, data access, The the very let's call it the lowest common denominator of what the spec is. It is the base function that, if you were to say they're going to revamp OPC um, classic, they would add a fundamental have to at least do this part of it. So they did that. And that was back in 2003 I think 2004 maybe and so that part of the spec has um, been very widely adopted by the market at least by this point I would say you're getting a lot of PLC support in it. you're getting a lot of application support in it. Uh, ignition was probably I don't know if they're one of the earlier proponents of it but I know they were offering their Modbus OPC UA uh, application for free at one point so yep they're no one is questioning the client server value and it's market adoption. So when people say OPC UA, it's shorthand for OPC UA data access client server, because that's a mouthful. So people get lazy and they just say OPC UA.
1: So then, um, so that, but that it's, it's important to note that that is, while that's the core of what we, when we say OPC UA, that's the core, that isn't, that isn't inclusive of everything in the specification.
3: No, that's right. So, So um, and and I brought that point up too, is that there's, you know, I went and I counted um, the facets. So a facet is a term that the specification uses as just a, a function. So it is a feature or a function that the specification has. So There's many facets that are required for you to even be considered a functional OPC UA client, server, whatever. Um, There's a lot that are optional. So there's, I counted 200 of them. So when you say that I want this OPC UA device, client, server to connect to this one, it doesn't guarantee interoperability because you have to then, I don't know if the best way to do it is create a matrix list out the different facets that each support, make sure the, the facets that you are actually needing are supported on both sides of it, then you're interoperable.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: it, it becomes- Which is not,
1: it is not the definition of interoperability. <laughs> but, well, no, and, and, well, get, and guess what ha- happens here? Guess what happens, the OPC UA spec gets treated as DevOps and people, if I'm gonna implement my edge implementation OPC UA, and then I'm going to implement my server, and I own the development of both sides of it. Then I can ensure interoperability between those two, those two uh, nodes, OPC UA nodes. But if what I want is for my OPC server to be interoperable with this OPC UA, this OPC client, I the first thing I got to do is it, it, I don't guarantee that I'm gonna have complete interoperability b- between the two if I don't control the development of both ends of it because, uh, and that is a limitation of the specification. Sorry, man, I didn't mean to cut you off, but.
3: Well, I would say too that um, what you have to end up doing is to guarantee interoperability is-
1: Support everything. You
3: have to create the, the device that's in your control to to be able to do everything. Yep. So it has to be able to implement all 200 facets And that's just to protect yourself. And then you bring in um, something that's OPC UA, but then you gotta go dig in the details of, does it support that facet that I'm needing? And if it does, then you're good to bring that device in. And then once you plug it in, you know that your device that you do control can connect to it and it will be interoperable. But those two steps of me as an integrator, I have to go verify the device in the fine print, supports that facet first off. And then I'll have to have that other device that supports all the facets so that it will be interoperable. That, and what the is your resp-
1: what's the response been that you've heard that you've from the letter? Have you heard uh, anything? Nothing,
3: nothing in private. It's all been on uh, public as comments on that, which has been uh, light, which I appreciate. I didn't want it to get into a uh, screaming match or anything. I wanted it to be out there for people to see and then for the, the foundation to uh, respond to it. So I I appreciate it actually being quiet and giving them some time to figure out how to respond to it. Um, But so
2: yeah, it's a lot of technical and business debt to undo. You know.
3: So yes, the uh, the client servers the the, by far the the vast deployment out there. So then there's a lot of features in OPC UA that are of interest, um, but are not in the market yet. So for example, historical access is a major feature. I don't think that's prevailing in the market, but it's basically a way to standardize how to get old data like through a historian or some kind of database. It sounds neat, but it's not out there. Um, but when people when they say, well, use OPC UA historical access, OPC UA is supported by thousands of companies that it misleads people when you hear those two is. phrases together because Right OPC UA client-server data access that everyone knows and is the least common denominator of function. Assume that uh, an advanced feature like historical access or pub/sub is equally as pervasive in the market, and that's not the case. Um, so I think the OPC UA ne- first off they need to be fair to the end users and the markets, and assign some kind of uh, I mean, from my NASA days, it was a technology readiness level. So that's a very common way of how you, when you're reviewing an architecture of a program, how ready is this program? What is my risk? So am I putting up technologies that have been used in space for, you know, many missions so there's low risk there? Or is it a technology that has not been used and it's more of a prototype and research and we're doing it for the first time? So if you go through each of the OPCU major functions and assign a technology readiness level teach one, it would help the market know, are they talking about it and it's just on paper? Or are they talking about it and it's in the market and I can go to these vendors and get it today? Um, I, I have seen things, uh, they mentioned about an OPC UA marketplace coming out, which I think will help at least get people to a central location and I'm interested in this, but they're gonna have to do that work of, here's all of our functions, now do your filter on what functions you want, and then that's going to show me what products can support that.
1: And but the issue here, the issue you're gonna run into with that, and, and I agree with you, I, I and and I believe in, you know, in a in a democratic environment, right, in an egalitarian environment, you would the, the 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 scales wouldn't be tilted in any way, shape, or form. But my experience with the OPC Foundation is Is that your visibility, especially if I go to the OPC website and and I'm looking at OPC partners, the partner that I am most likely going to see first, the highest priority return of my search, is going to not be a function of their efficacy for me, but their relationship with the OPC foundation. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that is a problem with the current with the prevailing business model again i i'm you know i don't want to beat up the Foundation. i would, I I would, go, OPC I would Foundation. go as
2: far i would go as far as to
1: say that's an industry 3.0 business model <laughs> correct i you know it's it's you know you the the uh, the the, the pay to play concept you know what i mean it's it it's very important that for for industry 4.0 end users are being routed to what is best not I- not to what is to the organization or the solution that has the best relationship with the person who's controlling the information that you're using to do your research right that's my that's my fundamental and there in and, and, you know Matt and I talked offline about you know, s- some of the history of part 14 and, you know, some of the, you know, some of the problems that that uh, they ran into while they were writing part 14, right? That, you know, there were there were explicitly, you know, Microsoft had a huge input on and, and wanted to make sure that there was nothing put into the part 14 standard that would steer users away from any Microsoft product and towards something else. Right. Number one. Number is two is that, why, is that okay. why Amazon
2: is is that why AWS is leveraging the unified namespace and Spark Plug B, but Microsoft is not. Right? There's
1: a there's a whole there's a whole history behind um, Arlen Nipper and Sirius Link and those guys being part of the discussion with Part 14 initially, and then kind of breaking off. There was you know, and and Arlen really should speak to that. I know some of the details. I don't know all of the details, and I, I definitely don't want to. I want to be careful about how much i i talk about it but there was a whole there's a whole host of political shit that went into writing part 14 that in the end was not good for the end user which led to without matt even knowing it an end user like matt writing that letter um So, so i i personally thought you summated it very very well the the content of the letter i think is Exceptional, but go ahead and answer. Yeah,
3: back back to your question, Zach. So you have all these OPC UA functions, and then you have an end user that's excited about. Well, I don't want the client server model. I want to try the pub sub model because that's more of a scalable architecture. And mm. so they would think <laughs> I'm going to specify OPC UA pub sub for this device, and then I'm going to specify OPC UA pub sub for this other application, and I'm good to go. That's not the case either. So even when you think yeah. you're doing your due diligence of I'm not doing OPC UA because I know that's too much. So I'm going to do OPC UA pub sub. Even that's not enough. You got to do OPC UA pub sub, Ethernet UADP, for example, or OPC UA pub sub AMQP JSON. Um, who knows that?
2: What about the misinformation that, like Emerson well, and people that well, are spreading, like that MQTT is just like an Ignition thing, even though it's clearly, you know, Factory Studio. Well, well hold flow, on, like all the host of the I want to I want to
1: answer Matt's I want to answer Matt's question. I want to answer Matt's question. The people who wrote the standard know that. Right? right? And think about and think about who were involved in writing the standard and it's it's you know it's just like I I look at OPC Foundation this way and again I'm not beating up the OPC Foundation I have a ton of respect for Stefan Hop I have a ton of respect for the OPC Foundation I I just happen to disagree with their decision making as it relates to OPC UA and some of the strategic strategic thinking. That's it, okay? let me say this. I liken the OPC foundation to the licensing bodies in most states who license electricians or who license plumbers. Okay. You, you literally are allowing other electricians in your state to decide whether or not you're going to get a license to compete against them. Okay. That's literally how the, how the game is rigged. And I liken the OPC Foundation to the exact same way. They write a specification that benefits the people who stood on the standards committee to write the specification. And they, and they make it so difficult for someone who wasn't part of writing that specification to leverage it to its fullest extent. That's my yeah. opinion. That's not my opinion. And yeah. I go, get, a... Well, let let Matt finish. Let Matt finish. Let me
3: finish. I, I I'm not coming from that angle so much. I would say that the specification was left too wide. So, if you're trying to get the market to adopt a technology, to give the market six options, and to let them figure it out, it's too much. The market is going to stagnate because they can't discern. Well, why would I choose option one versus option two versus option three? And then, oh by the way. I picked option one over here and then this option four over here and they don't work together. And so when when they wrote part 14 and they provided so many options, it should have been two options. It should have been you're a brokerless deployment or you're a brokered deployment. Uh-huh. And then don't, don't give the option of whether you're JSON or binary encoding. Pick one. So it's, it's like the specification just did not have the either authority or the the willpower to pick what the standard will be they left it open and then they they're letting the market try to figure it out and i suspect that they're going to now have to go back and filter it to and they're, they're starting to do this through that um iot starter kit they're, they're basically picking one of the six options that they outlined so they're AO- and i don't know why that decision was made and why that? I, I want to made before they released. And, the and by the
1: way, let's give let's give Eric Barnstadt credit here. Eric posted that, and he, you know he, yeah. it, I, 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 yeah, he was on the team that developed the starter kit. They, they at OPC days they announced right, and then yeah. he, and then he, and then he deployed. You know, he made an announcement on LinkedIn, and you know, um, I looked at the. I, I find the IoT starter kit incredibly interesting, and. There's a ton of potential there. I'm waiting to see what the rest of the community thinks. And, and I, by the way, Matt, your point that, you know, they picked one of the six options. And I think it was very telling that they did, that they, well, they were going to have to. But I think it's very telling that, that they did pick and, and publish for the community the example.
3: Right. It just uh, it does come across as bizarre, though, that it's um, we're talking like the spec was released in 2017. So we're um, four years later that it's just a, kind of a open source that Eric is kind of working on publishing rather than a more strategic effort to do this, work with vendors and get it deployed. So it it, it just feels really sluggish and like an afterthought, which is confusing
2: to me also. That's a fair, that's a fair I, criticism, but no, I do, I do hey, like it. We did say it was a step in the right direction. Uh, I was going to say if OPC foundation, if you want to send us the starter kit, but then I realized it's just a software download. It's on GitHub. The uh, hey, Taylor, Taylor's, tablet, got,
1: t- Taylor's got a drop. I, I want to say, thank Taylor for joining us. Good luck, man. I know that you had a hard stop. So, um, and I, I want to go ahead and get to the, the Q and a Matt, was there anything else you wanted to mention on the open letter before we You'll join us the rest of the, stick around for the rest of the, the stream.
3: Uh no. Um. I, I thought it. Um. <clears throat> uh, like you said, Eric, what he's been doing, it 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 comes across as almost single handed, which is bizarre, yes. but it's very appreciative, and it needs. Yes. It, it's weird that it's four years later, but it's nice that it's happening.
1: Well, I think I think our Eric has taken offense to you, you know, and and I don't mean. Maliciously no. taken offense. I think. I think we've said things that have ruffled Eric's feathers, and that probably, you know, drove him to show to demonstrate the capabilities to the community of the specification. Right. I think we that like that's that. at yeah. the end of the day, you know, he it's his baby. or oh, it's it's it, he's one of the guys who gave birth to it. So we, we I, shared it in the Discord. I, I appreciate the work he's doing. Yes, I appreciate the work he's doing. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's go. Hey, Zach, do you want to do the slide? T- yeah, I'll share. And then, uh, Taylor Taylor uh,
2: Turner, Turner said, uh, thank you, Mr. Turner. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> right. well, listen, if you wanted to know my input on why he was able to go through the training so fast is because his last name's Turner, but I'm biased. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Any questions in the chat that we can answer before we get to... I highly recommend... Yeah, there was one. I, I highly too. recommend two things. I highly recommend two things. Please read um, Matt's open letter to the OPC foundation. Number one, Mm. it's a short read, five minutes, whatever, it's worth it, trust me. And Mm -hmm. then um, if you can't, if you get a chance, uh, go to the discord server and look up. um, I think it's in the general chat, but Zach Zach can include the link here to the IoT starter kit. That is for um, uh, OPC UA pub sub that was published last week. After OPC days, All right? Matt, you uh, are... If you
2: look, Eric, I was like, uh, "Hold on, let me share it here." Oh, someone said we say it was in the late 1990s when PLC five came out with Ethernet capability. That's that's basically what you're saying, right?
1: Well, it was. Yeah, it was. It was 98. It was nine. It was 1998 when when um, Rockwell merged. You know, they unified SIP with Ethernet to get Ethernet IP.
2: Uh, listening to you guys is much better than Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> All right. um, someone said, do you recommend P- PubSub in the cloud? What about latency?
1: Well, I mean, it really depends on the latency over the WAN, but absolutely. PubSub's ideal for cloud infrastructure, especially like edge to cloud. Um, but I, 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 and I know Matt's been testing this. I know for me, We, there's very little, there are very little implementations where I'm going when, where our architectures are going edge directly to cloud. Really what's happening is we are, we're using multi-layered brokerage. So we have brokers at multiple layers and we're basically bridging as we come up the stack and there it becomes omniscient and omnipresent. So instead of going like, go ahead, Zach. In, in addition to having that on-site
2: broker, that on-prem broker, AWS released the new like local zones, which is basically like having an AWS data center, like on, basically on-prem, like the latency is right. sub 10, mil, like 10 millisecond. So it's for like your, your 5G applications, your VR, AR, MLAI, that kind of stuff.
1: But even, but even, even in the in the use cases where we're going like straight from a machine to um directly into the cloud um pub sub latency is not an issue i mean I, I, even over cellular networks it's not an issue but well, it was designed but, for but, but like... it's important cellular with serial networks is it was yeah. how it was designed i mean and and the but what i will say is that that isn't the type of architectures we're designing we're really you know, the more and more, the the larger the implementations are becoming, the more layered the uh, infrastructure is becoming. Now that means that now the the namespace at each broker is the same, but it just there are more there are more layers of brokerage as you as you move towards the clouds, towards the cloud. Like it's more
2: district it's more distributed. Um, Karmic, Oak run said open standards can you describe uh, solution architecture in the abstract, but realization of the architecture depends on the specific use cases. It's not meant to be prescriptive, in my humble opinion. Great comment.
1: Well, then don't and this goes to Matt's point about uh, they have a brand OPC UA has a branding problem, right? Um, you know, the the term OPC UA has become synonymous with, you know, Xerox or you know, saran wrap, right? But when in reality, it's a key and a lock. It's not one, you know, saran wrap for all uses. There's, there are keys and locks based on the way the OPC standard is written. What do you advise, Um, what do you advise a new one in IIoT? What does that question mean? Take the free IOT mini course.
2: That's step one. Uh, We talked about this. Um, We're also, uh, the, the, the webinar we did last week was a huge success. We're also going to make that like a, a webinar that you can kind of download and watch on demand. Um, so take the free IoT mini course. Omar said, Von's looking fresh today. You know what it is? It's that new, the new laptop. Bonds has <laughs> got that. <laughs> Bonds has got a professional laptop now. All right. Um,
1: that was so 2010s. <laughs> he, had a professional, he had a professional laptop before.
2: <laughs> he had a potato. He was just having me <laughs> a crack
1: that <laughs> would be a crappy one.
2: All right. So, yes, we're going to make this available. If you guys did not catch it, we'll, I'll still leave a link down below to watch this stream. It was a huge success. By the way, the and feedback...
1: Yeah, but, by the way, the feedback that we got on the Architecting Your Industry 4.0 career was phenomenal. I mean, it was, probably, it was the best feedback we've ever gotten from any event. And if you didn't get a chance to watch the event, I highly recommend you do the basically the big feedback that we got was it is much clearer to me all the various steps I need to take in order to go from where my career is over here to where I want it to be over here. And and here and here are the the actual steps and how long you think each of those steps will take. Mm -hmm. That was the first time we've ever actually presented that. to the community, so that was the big feedback: was hey, this makes a lot of. I'm gonna let's, I'm gonna shoot a video on this, for Matt. I actually have a video of me talking to Arlen Nipper about this, so I'm gonna we'll okay. shoot a video to answer this one.
2: We should we should bring Arlen Nipper on. He he was one of the first people to join the industry 4 Auto community Discord. That's true. All right, that's so.
1: right.
2: He's a yep. <laughs> the OBC Foundation. Created uh, this a is, brand is new. what he
1: just. Yeah, this is he actually said this. Yeah, this is why already I wanted to bring brought him this on up yeah. in the
2: conversation. Yep. So the next uh, one, from one Mr. of the manufacturers
1: Isaac. we're working with is Interbus Open Control from Phoenix. Does anybody have any feedback with it? Uh, the answer is no. It's in my kanban board to uh, to uh, test though. Uh, Greg Vig, would would like to gain some clarity from others around Pi historians if it makes any logical sense to use Ignition to feed it versus leveraging the OSI OPC interfaces to grab the data. I don't know enough about Ignition to understand what, if any, value would be in leveraging it to feed Pi. Okay. Um, What I'm assuming you're saying is that what you want to do is, would there be any value in taking the tag namespace inside of Ignition and feeding that tag namespace and the event changes to OSI Pi Historian rather than going from, say, the device level or the device uh, OPC server level directly into OSI Pi? The answer is there would be a lot of value. A lot of it would be structural. So um, you could, Ignition would give you a layer to organize your tags with, so that you wouldn't have to use uh, asset frames or event frames in OSI Pi. You could actually do that at the ignition level. That would be the advantage there. Um, we don't generally use OSI Pi, really. Um, there's uh, some issues with their algorithms and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the the Aviva acquisition is kind of suspect. If you're really going to feed... Um, ignition data into a historian, Canary is the better choice because it is a um, Canary supports, you know, the MQTT and Sparkplug B out of the box and it's bi-directional. So one of the big issues that we have with OSI Pi is OSI soft, OSI Pi is really designed to consume events and historize them and they do an outstanding job. They got lots of many different connectors to do that but there really wasn't a whole lot of consideration that went into taking the context from the OSI pi historical server and and serving that back to an ecosystem there are there you know there's a thing there's a PTC connector that where I can go ahead and use the PTC ThingWorks to visualize the stuff that's inside of OSI pi but what you really want in an industry 4.0 ecosystem is the context that gets created inside of your historian, you want to be able to publish that uh, that context back into your namespace. And Canary Labs works much, much better to do that. But, it, but on face value, without steering you away from OSI-Pi, yes, there are advantages to going from ignition to OSI-Pi that would be very easy to achieve either through the OPC UA server interface or other. Um, the, the downside would be that the the transitions that you would be receiving, that is the timestamps associated with the value changes would be from the ignition tag event engine, and not when they happened on the plant floor, number one. But the advantage you would get is you could essentially replace OSI PI asset frames and event frames using the tag, the ignition tag event engine. So that's a good question. question. Thank you, Greg. All right, what is everyone's definition of optimum scaling in regard to DTMA IOT? Often you'll hear folks say, insert software hardware here, doesn't scale. What features make you say that a software can or cannot scale other than your basic DTMA rules you preach, edge-driven, report by exception, et cetera? I answered this in the Discord server, so let me just read my answer. That way I don't give you multiple answers. Hey, where was... Uh
2: it- I think it was in the general. Let me see. Um, I'll search for Brad. Yes. Do you ever just want to find something? You can look for who posted it. Um, and it was on the 11th. Let's see. Yeah, it's in general. I'll just give you the link right here to the comment.
1: Yeah, I did respond to this. Are you dropping it in, in the stream
2: StreamYard? Yeah. Oops! why well, I accidentally dropped it in the live. If you guys want to join the Discord, there's a link to it there.
1: Uh, let me go ahead. Yep. Um. Yes. So let me get to my response, which was much further down the the line. Yes, I could answer it off the cuff, but I just want to make sure I give one answer. It's so my definition, art. yeah, my definition is capability must deploy widely to new areas, sites, business units at a cost that is no more, the number we use is 20% of the original development and without the need for refactoring any technical debt. So that's optimum scaling. So let's say I build a feature in in my IoT platform it is defined as scalable if it costs me less than 20% than the original development costs to deploy to any new area, site, or business unit. That's how we defined scalable. In the old days, scalable was the idea that, you know, we could a maintain performance and deploy that feature set widely at less than 40% of the original development cost. But those numbers continue to drop.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, can we hit like a ten x, a ten percent cost reduction?
1: Oh I, I, no, let me let me say this. So in in the in the case study that we're releasing this year, the big case, the one that you guys have seen, we developed the infrastructure for that food and beverage client, where once we developed once we developed the the capabilities for one. Operation type. So whether that's printing, whether that's lamination, whether that's slitting. We were able we were literally able, you know, one I could do one printing press and then we did the other four copy paste basically. I mean, literally, if it took three weeks to do the first press, it took less than an hour to do the next one. So I mean the number was like a fraction. Percent, two percent. So, so, like it's, to
2: answer, so to answer, so it answered Brad's question. It's based on real-world scaling of the, like actually scaling the software and having that twenty to ten re- percent cost reduction on scaling. Otherwise, you're just paying the same amount to do the same work, and it's not scaling.
1: Correct. I mean, at the end of the day, scalability boils down to two things: can you maintain performance over a wide deployment? Number one, and number two. Are, do you get um, as you deploy as you deploy widely? Is your does your cost per deployment drop exponentially? That's what scalability really is.
2: All right, I'm adding that in the chat. One, does it maintain performance? And two, does the cost drop exponentially? We're, we're really looking at the cost for that.
1: per deployment. Cost per deployment needs to drop less than less. So than when somebody says, what's our, wh-, yeah. When somebody says, what's our total cost of ownership for our digital transformation, the answer is the more widely you deploy, the lower your total cost of ownership becomes.
2: Mm, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Thanks, Brad. Next question from Miklo. We did go on go over this one last week, but I wanted you to get a chance to review his architecture guys, share your arch- architectures. In reference architecture,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. this is yeah. What, you see the unified namespace right here. What's your thoughts on this architecture, Walker?
1: Hold on a second. Let me get it. Let me take a look. I, I, this is the first time I'm looking at it. Just so you guys know, I don't see this. I don't go through this deck before we get on here. So. Um, uh, Yeah, this looks good. I mean, I, I like the representation. Um, what is what the application the th- here? Is this just is this meant to be generic? Yeah, you know? th- I think this is a um
2: Miklo's one of the uh, members of the mastermind. He's a, works for a consulting firm and he's you know trying to have a standard architecture to you know show clients and show them, you know, where is the unified namespace and where does it live? The one thing I noticed was there was a lack of a unified namespace represented in the cloud. So I would like to see, you know, kind of enterprise unified namespace and then kind of your edge gateway or your kind of your on-premise God. unified namespace.
1: There, there, there are many things that I would change here, um, but there's nothing wrong with what he's got here. If I were got doing it. this diagram, um, one of the things that he doesn't make clear is what the common technology is for the infrastructure. So that is, there. there's a lot of examples of protocols here um, and transport that are a unification of legacy technology. What he doesn't have here is what is clear that his future technology is going to be. Remember, digital transformation takes place, there are basically two parallel strategies going on at the same time how do we connect all the stuff we already have and how are we going to order all the stuff in the future? What is the stuff we come in the future? uh, What's it going to come with? Okay. Um, You want
2: to answer this one from Dave?
1: Yeah. Interbus is a field bus. This is, but I I haven't tested. So that's why I haven't answered the question yet, but let me say this. I saw a question from participant. I'll defer to the contextualized answer to us. Let me, but let me say it's a field bus from the earliest days of the bus wars. It uh, may be easier to collect the I/O on Interbus at Brownfield and get this data into a controller. They get this OBCA or sent somewhere via MKTT spark plug. Yes, that's almost certainly going to be similar to my answer. But the 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 question the question I'll try to answer is uh, what is Interbus and why Interbus? All
2: right, let's move on to the next question because we got a few here. <laughs> this one's a video idea from Mario. A cool video would be about data contextualization, data model and metadata management at scale, because every factory will be different, with different assets and models. How to maintain that would be an interesting video. Um, that's not only an interesting video. I do want to do that, but that's also I think that's going to be one of the topics for our next uh, masterminds, which would be like High bite.
1: It's one of the it's one. Of, it was meant to be the April session, but we replaced April and May session with DTMA, we moved it up two months. So mm-hmm. it'll either be the July meeting or, or the uh, June meeting or the July meeting. It probably won't be June, but it'll probably be July. Mm-hmm. Um, an important thing about data conceptualization. Okay, again, remember, digital transformation is a it's a it's this journey, right? You have a strategy that is our digital strategy, and then transformation itself is a journey. And that journey begins for an industry 3.0 company with an, 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 a non-ideal reality, right? The, you know, Tesla gets to build the ideal reality, right? Because they started, they started at a time when they had all technology available, available to them. So there's two strategies. One is how are we unifying all the stuff we already have that covers a period of 30 to 40 years? And then the other strategy is what will all the new stuff look like? Okay, data contextualization is problematic for the legacy integration. And it's very easy for the the Greenfield implementation because the the data context or the context that you require is written into your minimum technical requirements for your OEMs, for your software providers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Thank you, Mario. We will do this.
1: Um, but Andy. this is this but Zach, it's a good point data context is is one you know that's the data ops component that is th- this is why high byte intelligence hub exists this is why we're so high on high byte uh, So question. how about Andy. this could have save Theranos if it was given control of the company in the early stages what would you do differently could their goals have been achieved no we couldn't help them you want to know why um, this is actually a good point here so it, Isn't she a Theranos failed kind of? because well Theranos failed because of values okay you know I, I had a I, I sent a response this morning um, that you know someone had reached out to me and asked me to comment on on a um, um, a, a new oh, they're not new they're a couple years old but an automation company that's an IOT organization that's got Amazing technology, right? I, I'm definitely love their technology. Totally impressed with them. Um, but we have dis- we have made a choice not to partner with that company. And and the reason we didn't partner with them was va- it was values, right? You know, Theranos failed not because the the technology is not there, right? Great great leaders, you know. Um, Great leaders, if they come from the right place, you you can snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, right? You can create things that have never existed before, right? Elon Musk is an exceptional leader. He's also not a scumbag, all right? Um, he's not out to exploit anyone. He's out to save the world, right? He sees his brain as something gifted to him that he has a responsibility to do the most he can with, and what was her name? The the Theranos lady, Susan, or whatever her name was. Doesn't matter. What was she, her name? She, you know, if, if 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 the if the articles and in, in everything I've read about Theranos are to believed, she exploited everyone around her. You know, openly lied and 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 put human beings' health at risk. Right. And that wasn't coming from a good place. So whether we would have never worked with Theranos, I probably would have called her a scumbag to her face and told her that she should be ashamed of herself. And Vaughn would tell you that that's when I come across manufacturers who exploit their employees, or I come across vendors who all they give a shit about is charging you as much as they possibly can for their product. I tell them to their face, I think they're a scumbag and that we we're not working together. You guys I think you're no part idea, of the problem.
2: If you guys have no idea yeah. what we're talking about right now, I'm gonna leave a link to a really cool cold fusion video about the Theranos, Theranos scandal explained. If you guys watch that video after you guys watch this live stream here, the YouTube algorithm really likes that. Like when we you know send other YouTube content creators traffic, it's a really great, it's a really great story, the Theranos story. She, she, she was so, but, but let, she literally had two faces. she had a she would talk like a, a deeper voice so she would be more well respected. and so she literally put effort into being someone that she's not, which is
1: but here here's my point. My point is is her values were fucked up. and since she was the leader of the organization, the organization operated in a fucked up way, and no one could save them, okay? It, it it's it's you it, and i know that that's not a serious question could we have really saved theranos but it is a great opportunity to drive home the point that we live in a day and age folks listen it is about values everything starts and ends with values yeah. it does if you're if your values are not in the right place and you see the world as a zero sum game and you see the gifts that you were blessed with as you winning the lottery and fuck everybody else around you, then you are a piece of shit. That's literally what you are. And 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 I don't want to work with you. And no one like me is going to want to work with you. OK, oh, I want to live in question. a day and age, we, we live in a day and age. We live in a day and age where we can. The technology is there at our fingertips to fundamentally change the world. I happen to want to change the world in manufacturing, but there are many places that technology is going to help improve the world, even in places where the the you know industrial revolution hasn't even reached yet. Okay. And and that has created that has created a whole generation of professionals who want their life's work to me to be more than just about making some CEO a $25 million bonus. All right. It, sorry, off my soapbox. I hope that didn't piss last, anybody off too much. Last bad.
2: last question, last question here because I wanted to get to this one last yep. week. Many people have been asking it. Walker, why won't Aviva work yep. as a unified namespace? Take it away.
1: Great. This is an outstanding question. Uh, two primary reasons. Number one, if you look under the hood in system platform, the Aviva namespace is flat. Okay. There's not there is not a contextual namespace. That's not to say that you can't create an asset structure in system platform. You can, but guess what? Only system platform can use the asset structure. So it's not exposed, right? So system platform and, and, and Aviva's tools in general can't act as a unified namespace, A, because they're not built on broker technology, B, because they're not wide open, and C, there is no asset structure to expose to an ecosystem. The namespace inside of an Aviva system platform, you just do a go to Wonderware in touch and do a DB dump that db.csv is flat. It is it is a it's it's one row for every tag in the namespace and you can create an asset structure in, a, in inside a system platform, but it is only meant for the things in the platform. That's the reason it can't act as a, a unified namespace. Yet, conversely, I can take Factory Studio, I can take Flow Software, I can take Canary Labs, I can take Ignition especially, and I can create the same open structured namespace inside of Ignition as I could create in HiveMQ or in EMQ or in Mosquito. They're they're literally the exact same thing.
2: You might even call it a unified namespace.
1: Right. Thanks, guys. We'll so, see
2: you
1: guys next time. Right. Hey, hey, Matt, I appreciate you jumping on, man, and, um, um, you know, all pining on your your letter. I, I, anybody on the stream who hasn't read the letter, please make sure you get a chance to take a look at it. Um, yeah, John Foreboard said, uh, exactly, the system platform asset structure is the definition of vendor lock. <laughs> all right, appreciate you guys. We'll see you next week.